My name's Ben, like Craig said. Um, I get the pleasure of serving this church community over the next academic year. So far this semester, I've uh, done a lot of stuff with the youth, which it's been, woo! Uh, it's been awesome. Can I say, you all have some fantastic kids. Like, these students are wonderful. Um, it's just been, it's been so much fun for me getting to know them. I'm so excited to see what God's going to do to uh, just use them to teach me over the next coming months. Um, and right now, as we look to the Word, I pray that God will teach all of us, um, that, that He'll move in close, because we believe that we have a God that will move in close, and, and He'll teach us things about Himself, which changes us in the process. So, all right. Well, we are transitioning into a funny time of year. I don't know if you can feel it in the air, maybe not today, but we are transitioning to winter. And that's an interesting time, right? It's time to break out the fall jackets, cook some hot chocolate, maybe eat some hot soup. There's just certain, there's a kind of a, a, a rhythm or a routine that goes with winter time. And, and that's good, or at least it can be. Structures are good. Routines, they're good. At, at least for me, I am the kind of guy that loves his routine. During my time as an undergrad at Baylor University, I would get the same cup of coffee from the same place and sit at the same table in the same part of the library every day to do work. I even used one type of blue pen for my entire college career, which is pretty crazy if you think about it, but through all the stress, my routine, it, it, it kept me sane. Well, growing up, one of my favorite parts of my family's routine were meals that we shared together on a nightly basis. We'd eat at the same time every night, Everyone had assigned seats, and it was just a great time to, to come together and, and talk about our days. And the food was phenomenal, which was always a plus. My mother is a fantastic human being, and one of her many fine qualities is that she is a wonderful cook. So there was just always a reason to go around the table and, and spend time together. And there's something funny about these family dinners, isn't there? When you're, when you're that close together and your elbows are rubbing up against each other, you're you're watching people's eating habits, or you're, you're hearing people's eating habits, and you see their table manners, or lack thereof, and before you know it, these dinners, they begin to teach you a little something about your character. And for me, I learned early on that my character was pretty flawed. You see, I love food, and I still do, but I was crazy as a child. We, we had a big family, and I was terrified that people would take my food. I was worried that I would go hungry. So I had some tactics to ensure that I got my fill. For example, as a six-year-old, with all the wisdom that I possessed in the world, I would eat my hamburgers in a circle like this, thinking that this strategic defense would keep people from eating my food. <laughs> and I would take gigantic bites, eating as quickly as I possibly could, storing the food in my cheeks like this. You know, I can, I can still hear the sound of my grandfather's voice saying, well, come now, Benjamin, you have to actually chew every once in a while. It was so bizarre. My mom, she would make this dish called chicken paprikash, which next to the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was pretty much my favorite thing in the entire world. And I made sure my family knew that, too. Now, you're probably unaware, but in the early 90s, there was a series of brief wars that occurred. And history remembers these as the Paprikash Wars. And I would battle it out for firsts and seconds and, and thirds and, and leftovers. And it was funny. 
These kitchen wars, they, they made absolutely no sense. I always had enough. My, my parents were always faithful. So this compulsion that I had to get more, this, food, this fear that, that there wouldn't be enough food, that, that, that there wouldn't be enough to go around, it was completely irrational. Now, admittedly, fighting over chicken paprikash is a silly example, but as I've gotten older, I've noticed that this character fall, it manifests itself in different ways in my life. You see, despite my circumstances, despite all of my many blessings, I still fail to remember the reality of my one true provider. I, I question God's faithfulness in my life. And in these moments, the root of the issue is that I fail to trust. And because of this lack of trust, I begin to question. Now, there's nothing wrong with questioning, but at times my doubt gets so severe. My, my questioning gets so intense that I begin to resent my circumstances. And then I start to question God's plan for my life. I, I think he messed up, and then I start to take my life into my own hands. I rebel, and I do things on my own, and before I know it, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm never really satisfied or actually content with myself or my progress. And don't we all have moments like this? We have these times when our expectations don't match up with our desires. The, the relationship ends. We don't earn the grade that we think we deserve. The, the business deal doesn't go through. We don't get that job or, or that promotion. We continually find ourselves falling back into that pattern of sin, that broken lifestyle, and we feel powerless. We, we feel like God messed up, that he took a night off maybe even an entire season of our lives off, and we feel trapped. We feel stuck in the wilderness, left all alone, abandoned by the God who promised to save us. Well, today, we're going to take a look at a group of people that were quite literally stuck in the wilderness. And as they faced their trial, they too failed to trust in the plan of their provider. They didn't remember his faithfulness. But in response... God did some incredibly wonderful and powerful things. But before we get ahead of ourselves, how about we pray, and then we'll jump into the scripture, all right? Oh, God, thank you that you are a God that's close. Um, Lord, that you're closer than our skin, closer than our next breath. Lord, I pray right now that you'll make yourself known to us, that you'll speak to us, Lord, because we believe you can speak. So I pray that you'll speak to us. Holy Spirit, you'll come and fill this room and and, and you'll change our hearts, God. Let us leave here differently, Lord. Let us leave here with, with just a, a, a strength and passion and love for you, God. Thank you for a love that never ends and a faithfulness that is always there. And we pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, if you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. Uh, Exodus is the, uh, the, the second book of the Bible. It's right after Genesis, right before Leviticus. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. The words will be up on the screen behind me. So read along with me. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, The whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. So here we are. The Israelites are grumbling to their leaders, and they're asking them for food, which is something we can all relate to, right? We, we like food. Being hungry isn't any fun. Thanksgiving's coming up. We like our full bellies. You, you can't really fault them for that, can you? It may seem that way on the surface, but I think the real issue was not their hunger, but their lack of trust. They doubted God, and and their doubt became so severe that they wished God would have destroyed them in, in Egypt. Their expectations didn't match up exactly with their reality, and death was more desirable than momentary hunger. Now, this is some pretty heavy stuff, but hang with me, because I think these verses, they illustrate an important reality of the human heart. So let's put some historical context around these words. Remember Joseph, Jacob's son, the guy with the super cool, awesome, colorful coat? Well, his brothers sold him into slavery, and he ended up a a servant in Egypt. And due to a series of really unfortunate circumstances, Joseph ended up in an Egyptian prison. But God showed up powerfully in Joseph's life. By, By the power of God, Joseph got out of prison. And he rose to prominence within the Egyptian authority. In fact, next to Pharaoh, he was the most powerful leader in the land. What a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness, right? Well, after a while, uh, a new people that had never heard of Joseph kind of saw the Hebrew people. They were getting, there was a lot of them. The population was growing. So he enslaved the Hebrew people. And he held them captive for four years years. But eventually, eventually God sent Moses to deliver his chosen people, which led to some of the most spectacular moments in all of scripture. You all heard these stories, right? The the ten plagues, remember the locusts and the Nile turning to blood and and the frogs? There is no question that that these were miraculous miraculous acts, a, a testimony to God's divine intervention, but they were also powerful and, and, and devastating acts. They destroyed crops. For a time, they compromised the livelihood of the Israelites, and the Hebrew people, they had to wait on God's timing. They had to absolutely trust him, and eventually, their waiting paid off. He brought them out of Egypt. So now we find the Israelites on the other side of the situation. And they left Egypt and, and entered into the wilderness, and the Lord continued look after them. He, he remained faithful. In chapter 15, verse 27, the verse immediately preceding our passage, it, it says this. It says, Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So let's do a little recap. God had just showed his ability to save his people in the face of seemingly inevitable danger. They had just absorbed the Lord, acting on their behalf in powerful, supernatural ways. With each plague, he single-handedly undercut the religious system of the Egyptians, showing that he, and not their false gods, had complete control over the forces of nature. And then he parted the Red Sea and brought them out of Egypt. And after all that, 
He led them to a place with shade and water, ample provisions for a people trapped in the desert. And what's the response of the Hebrew people? When they grow hungry for a moment, when they don't get food exactly when they want it, what do they do? They complain. They grumble against their leaders. They think that God's miraculous intervention, these actions, God's deliverance from Egypt, was all a part of one giant sham, a plot to destroy them in the desert. From their point of view, it wasn't worth it. They would have rather been dead. And guys, these, these verses, they teach us an important truth about our character. Because you see, when we're in the wilderness, when we experience times of trial, when our expectations don't match up with our reality, like the Israelites, we can start to grumble. And, and hear me, it is okay to honestly pray to God. It's even okay for us to yell and scream and tell him that we have absolutely no idea what he's up to. But if we're not careful, that grumbling spirit, it can fester within us. It can begin to grow. And pretty soon, some, some pretty bad things start to happen. We begin to doubt God's character. We, we doubt his goodness. Come on, God! How on earth could you let this happen? We doubt his promises. Are you kidding me, Lord? What happened to all of that being with me always business? We doubt if he can be trusted. Are you serious? This, this God, this is really going to work for my good? And then we begin to resent him. And a terrible thing, a terrible thing happens to our hearts. As we grumble like the Israelites, as we doubt, this resentful spirit, it can begin to control us. It starts to rule over us, and before we know it, it enslaves us. And we, like the Israelites, are forced into bondage. We become slaves to ourselves, slaves to our own personal pride, pushing God away and taking matters into our own hands. And y'all, I know all too well what this bondage feels like. So, I graduated from Baylor, and it was a pretty fantastic time. I had some great friends. I took challenging classes. I witnessed some extraordinary sports moments. A, a couple trips to the Elite Eight, a, a bowl victory, a women's national championship, and Robert Griffin III winning the Heisman Trophy, which, by the way, this is just a side, but our football team's undefeated, fourth in the country. Sick of bears, right? It was, it was awesome. But it didn't start out that way. You see, I had so many expectations when I started college. I'm a pretty big planner, and I had my plan set. I'm a pretty confident and outgoing person, or at least I thought I was, so I was going to have the best friends at college, get to know every single person in my dorm hall. And I love serving at my church back at home and, and leading worship. Well, I couldn't wait to go to University Baptist Church and hopefully serve alongside one of my leaders or heroes named, named David Crowder. He's pretty much a rock star in the Christian music world. When August rolled around, I was so pumped to start school. I was, I was ready. Let's do this. Let's go. I was so ready to leave St. Louis and head to Texas. But then I got there. And I soon realized that it wasn't what I expected. Not at all. And I tried. I tried hard. I, t 
talk to people. I, I went to church, but after a couple of weeks, I accepted reality. Things didn't go according to plan. You see, I didn't really have any great friends. Apart from the couple guys I knew from high school, I, I didn't really have any friends. And, and that church that I wanted to serve at, well, that didn't pan out. And I was so homesick. You see, I, I didn't realize how much I needed family and, and close friends and a supportive church community to feel good about myself, to feel safe, secure, and confident, and I hated it. I wanted to go back home so badly. I remember sitting in my dorm room closet with the door shut, crying and hoping to high heaven that my roommate wouldn't come back from class early and see me in the state that I was in. Let me tell you, I doubted God. You bet I did. I, I doubted his plan. I doubted what he was doing. And in those moments, in that doubt, I became a slave to my own pride. I became my own master, my own personal pharaoh. You see, my doubt, it, it, it turned into resentment. And as time progressed, with each passing day, my resentment grew. And as a result, in little ways, I began to take my life into my own hands. So, God, the specific church that I wanted to serve at didn't happen? Well, I guess he's not going to church anymore. This guy. And my classes, pff, don't worry about that, Lord. Have you seen my brain? I don't need your help. I got this. Oh, and I'm studying religion, so yeah, I'll read the Bible. But not really. I won't really read it. Sure, I'll read it from an intellectual standpoint. But it'll be like reading a math book. In fact, I'll obsess over every little detail that makes me doubt it. Your plan didn't work out, or at least it didn't work out how I wanted it to, so I'm done. I'm going to do things my way. Y'all, there I was, an 18-year-old slave, worshiping his own abilities. Don't we all experience moments like this? Our, our plans don't work out, and instead of focusing on God's steadfast love, on his goodness and his faithfulness. We, we rely on ourselves. We rely on our abilities, on our intellect. From the, the Garden of Eden to the 21st century, humanity has been plagued by one incredible lie. We know best. And if we're honest, in these moments, we're miserable. During my first semester, I was miserable. I was anxious. My, my confidence went away. I began to doubt the talents and, and abilities that God gave me, and this made me self-conscious, so I would continually beat myself up. Apparently, I wasn't the best master. But thankfully, despite my flaws, despite my many shortcomings, despite the grumbling that we all do from time to time, God continues to provide. And that's just what he did for the Israelites. You see, this story... It doesn't end with grumbling. It, 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 it's, instead, it ends with the faithfulness of the Lord. Likewise, our stories, they don't end with grumbling. They don't stop with our resentment. But on the contrary, they reveal a wonderful and important truth regarding the character of God. And hear me on this, guys. Write it down, because it can be boiled down into four words. Our faithful God provides. Listen to what it says next in the chapter. It reads, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. 
and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. (laughs) Guys, isn't that amazing? While the Hebrews complain, God provides. He he gives his people manna, bread from heaven. And it was nourishing. It it tasted like honey, and it was like nothing else they had ever seen before. They they didn't know what to do with it or or how to categorize it. They they didn't even know what to call it. Manna in the Hebrew literally translates to, to, what is it? But this mysterious food, this manna, it was enough. And the fact that it was enough is a very important point to grasp. You see, God commanded his people each day to gather a day's portion. Not enough for tomorrow, not enough for next week or or month or or year, but one day. In fact, if they gathered too much, if they failed to trust, their reserves would grow moldy, rot, and melt away. When, When morning came, they had to trust. They had to choose to obey God and gather enough. They had to follow his instructions. And this teaches us something important about our provider. You see, while the Israelites had bread each morning, they they couldn't take measures into their own hands and store it up for themselves. At night, when they closed their eyes, they had to believe that he would remain faithful when they opened them again in the morning. They had to trust that the manna would be there when they woke up. Despite our rebellion. God will provide and remind us of his faithfulness. But within that provision, he will bring about circumstances that compel us to trust him more and more. And that's just what he did at my time at Baylor. See, at school, it, it, took, me, it took me a few years to find a church that I could plug into. And I visited a bunch of them. I attended one for a while, but due to various theological differences, I, I had to leave. And What do you know it? That was right when I needed an internship for my introduction to ministry class. So there I was, the the only student in the class, probably the only religion major in the entire university without a church that he regularly attended on the weekends. But during that time, guys, God was at work. You see, because I had nowhere else to go, my professor, he assigned me to a small Baptist church. um, And at first, I really didn't like it. I wasn't comfortable there. I didn't, I didn't think my talents or abilities would be used. It, it wasn't what I was used to. But it's where I felt called to be. And as I trusted, God showed up. And he, he showed me why he led me there. I got to use my previous youth group experience to, to serve the students in the church. I was able to lead worship weekly on a Wednesday night service, which began a few months after I joined. And I found a mentor that discipled me and helped me grow spiritually. As I trusted in God, God provided modern manna. And I was reminded, not for the first time, and definitely not for the last, that he's good, that he is faithful, that he can be trusted, and that ultimately, his way is best. So what do we do with this modern manna? How do we recognize the Lord's provision in our lives? How can we continually remember his faithfulness? What steps can we take to ensure that we never again make ourselves, our abilities, our arrogance into idols? Well, honestly, this is a difficult question for me to answer. Y'all, doubt is something that I continue to struggle with, and I struggle. And when we start talking about these issues, these very complicated and and personal issues, it just 
becomes really, really complicated. So if I attempted to boil down such complicated matters into three easy bullet points, it would be an insult to you. There's, there's no magic formula or, or self-help guide to eradicate prideful idolatry. However, I think scripture gives us a few starting points. Think of these three things as, as launching pads, which hopefully will compel you in the coming days and weeks to, to go before the Lord, to pray and, and to wrestle with God, because I know one thing. True spiritual transformation begins with the Spirit of God working in you. In his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So as we reflect on these ideas, I, I pray that the Holy Spirit begins to work in all of us, that, 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 that it comes into this room, transforming our minds and our hearts and teaching us that God's way is best. So, the launching pads. First, when you notice God's blessings in your life, God's provision, this, this modern manna, try to think of creative ways to remember it. Later in chapter 16, God commanded Moses and Aaron to take some of the manna that he gave them and place it in a jar as a testimony to his faithfulness to the Hebrew people and their sons and daughters for generations to come. Guys, maybe it's time to place some manna in a jar. And I'm not sure what it'll look like. It might be a journal entry, maybe a regular meeting with another Christian. I, I'll tell you what I do. I have journal entries on my laptop. And then at home, on my desk, I have this little container. And as I go throughout my day, when I think of it, I try to write down times in my, throughout the day when God evidenced his faithfulness in my life, and I place them inside of it. Either way, prayerfully consider how you might begin to store up some manna. And then when you experience hardship, as you walk through the wilderness, you'll be able to pick up a tangible reminder. You can grab that note or, or call that friend and remember that our God is in control. Our God is faithful. Our God will provide. Second, be empowered by the written bread of God. As he walked through the wilderness, as he was tempted in the desert, the Lord Jesus resisted the temptations of the evil one, exclaiming, It is written! Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So read his word. Submerge yourself in it. Study it. Ask questions. Seek answers. Memorize it. Reflect upon it. Meditate on its promises. Guys, this whole book tells the story of a God that continually frees, redeems, and restores his creation. So, 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 so let, it, let it change you. Let, let the Holy Spirit use this testimony of God's faithfulness to, to, to change your heart. Let the word of God be your nourishment. Let it be your manna. So when trials come, you'll remember his faithfulness. Lastly, rejoice in Jesus and continually remember what he did for you. In the Gospel of John, Jesus declares that he is the bread of life, and whomever eats from him will never again go hungry. So, so, so let Jesus be your manna. Let him be enough. Treasure him. Feast on him. Let what he did, let the cross be enough 
Stop taking measures into your own hands. Stop assuming that you know what's best, that you have it all figured out. Recognize that, yes, you are sinful. But because of the cross, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, God calls you justified and sees you as righteous. Y'all, we worship a God that despite our brokenness, Despite our messy, sinful natures, he chose to enter into our messy world. You see, God will never leave his people in bondage. He, he can't. He, he will not. Doing so would go against his very nature. So he took on human flesh, and he died on our behalf. What, 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 what a testimony to his faithfulness, guys. We are incredibly sinful, but we worship an incredible Savior. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are no longer guilty, but redeemed. Remember this. Remember this sacrifice. Trust in the gospel. Trust in the 100% finished work of Jesus. So recently, my dad reminded me of a game that we used to play. When I was much younger, he would, he would set me up on top of his dresser, around the kitchen counter. And once I was there, I would stand waiting with nervous anticipation. And I'd wait. And I'd keep waiting. And I'd wait some more. And then right when it seemed like I couldn't take it anymore, with a grin, he would look me in the eyes and say that magic word. Jump. And I would immediately, I would jump off that counter no matter how high, knowing that I would be safe. You see, there was never a doubt in my mind that he wouldn't catch me. I I knew that he would be there and that he would faithfully take me into his arms. I always trusted. But as time went on, as I got older, a funny thing began to happen. I began to look around. I noticed that I was pretty high off the ground. I also saw that the ground seemed pretty hard. And at some point, I stopped jumping. I was afraid. I I doubted that my dad would catch me, even though he always did in the past. Even though there was never a time when I ever got close to falling and hitting the ground. Listen, I'm not sure what y'all are going through. Things could be great, wonderful. In fact, you might not have a clue what the wilderness is like. And if that's you, man, that's awesome. We, we celebrate that. Thank and worship a faithful God. But remember this. At some point, the trials will come. At some point, all of us will find ourselves in the desert. And I'm sure that there are individuals in this room right now that know all too well what that is like. You, You feel like you're knee-deep in sand. Guys, in these moments, let's remember. Let's remember his faithful action in the past. Let's reflect on the promises that he gives in Scripture. Let's rejoice in his work on the cross. Let modern manna refresh and nourish you during times of struggle because God is good. At all times, in the good moments and the bad, he is faithful. That's all I know. So remember this. Don't let the fear of the future or the pain that you are going through keep you from jumping into his arms. Just, Just jump. Do what he's leading you to do. 
Maybe he's leading you to have that difficult conversation, that, that talk you've been avoiding. Maybe he's leading you to finally get involved around here, to, to join a small group or a service organization. Maybe to go join a service team over in Trenton. Maybe he's nudging you to go out in the world and to bring the gospel, his gospel, to, to your friends and your neighbors, maybe overseas. I'm not sure what he's going to say to you, what he's going to say to us, what he's going to say to us this week or, or next week or next month or even the course of this year. I just know that we need to listen. And we need to jump. No matter where he's leading you, jump. And remember that he will always catch you. Now in the coming moments, the band will start playing a song and the elements will be passed around the room. And we'll have a chance to remember. We'll we'll pick up the bread and we'll remember his body. His body which was broken for us. And then we'll pick up the cup and remember the blood. His blood which was shed for us. For us. What a beautiful example of modern manna. What a wonderful way to worship. So let's worship together right now. The the table is open, y'all. Let's celebrate and let's remember. Always remember. Let's remember the sacrifice. Let's observe the Lord's Supper. Amen? Amen.